welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 what's up, everybody? Uh, Knock on podcast number 225, and we are, well, in some states, turkey season started here in Iowa. We're right on the brink. I think youth season might kick off this weekend, possibly, but uh, I figured there was no person better to get on to talk turkeys than my buddy Mike Slinkard. What's up, Mike? Hey, John, how are you? (laughs) Good. I, I figure you're the as for as many like hardcore turkey hunters as there are, I actually just continue to get baffled by your technique. So I thought it'd be cool just to throw a complete curveball into this turkey <laughs> podcast by getting you on here because we can talk complete uh unorthodox orthodox ways of hunting turkeys, according to most turkey hunters. And then we can probably key into uh, the orthodox way of hunting turkeys. But uh, have you gone out yet this year? Uh, not yet. I'm going to leave the 12th. Uh, we're going to start out down uh, down in Texas. I've got a buddy down there that I hunt with every year. And we'll go down there, and he's got some really good property down there. So uh, I start there, and then uh, our season here in Oregon starts the 15th. So... We'll be doing some stuff here, and I may may possibly still put together a uh, hunt out in Ohio with my buddy Bill Eppert. So, anyway, uh, yeah, it's almost time, almost time. To, we were out scouting this weekend and saw some nice birds, and they're starting to kind of break up here a little bit, so things are looking good. <laughs> okay, well, before I tell you what I've gone through to prep for turkey season, um I mean, what do you, for your turkey season, what do you like dust off your lawn chair and? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, it's, it's a glorified lawn chair. I put it that way. It does, it does pivot and everything like that. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, anybody who's been watching uh, our TV show hunting with hacks would probably get a pretty good idea of how I hunt turkeys. And it's unorthodox by most people's standards, but it is extremely effective. I only bow hunt them. I don't do any shotgun hunting or anything like that. And You know, I've hunted turkeys probably 25 years, I guess. Um, most of those early years were completely unsuccessful. Um, you know, I, of course, like most turkey hunters, I, I had all kinds of problems, you know, just figuring them out, getting them, you know, figuring out how to get them in front of you and calling them and all that kind of thing. That's a whole art form in itself. But, uh, you know, as a bow hunter, the biggest thing was unless I, unless I set up a blind or something, I could never get to full draw on them very, very good unless they were, you know, if, they, if you'd wait and they'd turn and so their fan would block their head, you could get to full draw that way or, you know, if they went behind something solid. But, you know, that was the, that was the thing. I mean, I only killed a couple turkeys before uh, we started doing it with the hack stuff. And it, it's just amazing. And it. it not to be a sales tactic or anything like that, but anybody who hasn't used this with turkeys, it's pretty incredible, actually, and what you can do. So, well, you told me that you had your you had your hunts on the TV where you were just drawing back, shooting turkeys out of a lawn chair in your hex suit, head to toe, 
at the N- uh, NWTF uh, show. Was it three or four years ago that you first went? We actually, this was our sixth season there, actually. Has, it been, has it been that long? And you, t- you told me, uh, you said, this was last year, you said not one person's brought a hex suit back. Nope. You still have that? Six years, and yeah, we've probably, I don't know, we've sold thousands of suits at that show now at this point. And it, it just keeps getting easier because, you know, and, and we're making some to turkey hunters pretty outlandish claims really i mean it really is when we first went there it was um you know a bunch of big old southern turkey hunters that were pretty outspoken and and you know we sold a few suits there most of them thought that you know we were selling some kind of you know some kind of snake oil or something i guess and you know and and i can't even tell you how many times that you know guys bought them and said you know if it doesn't work i'm bringing you back are you coming back to the show next year and all that and they said, yeah, we'll be here. And, and in all the time we've been at that show, we have yet to have a person that's come back that's bought a suit that, uh, that has anything negative to say about it at all. Most of the time they're showing us their own videos or, you know, now we bring our, our uh, camera gear and actually record, uh, you know, customers' uh, testimonies, uh, testimonials and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's actually a really fun show to do for us because, it, it really is with with turkeys in particular. It's probably the easiest thing out there to really see and understand what hex does. And um, you know, it's it really goes back to how how birds see and how turkeys see. And and you know, it's it, what we didn't know really when we started this was exactly the how much benefit there was with birds. But um, it's proven now that birds actually see electrical fields visually. And if you if you Google, you know, bird, uh, you know, electrical reception or bird, you know, vision, you're going to find quite quickly that it's just in the last few years, they've 100% verified that birds actually see electromagnetic fields. Now, a lot of those were, were focused on how birds navigate and how they see and how migratory birds can travel the earth and, and all that kind of thing. But um, the thing is, is what living beings put out is an extreme low-frequency field, very much like the electrical field of the Earth. And with you, if you block that field, a movement in particular, a movement to a bird is an inanimate movement, basically. It's, you, can, you can get away with, I mean, you can't stand up and do jumping jacks, but you almost can. I mean, we're, now we're waving at birds and all kinds of stuff that's kind of silly, but uh, just to prove what we can get away with. And... You know, we do this with all species all over the country. Um, I haven't been down and did the Mexican stuff yet, but, uh, you know, we've done Osceola, Easterns, uh, Miriams, Rios, and, and you get the same result no matter what. So it's, it's pretty cool way to hunt, actually. I just Googled it, and what's funny is now you, you're, your Google search is uh, is is being uh, it's being skewed right now because evidently those – scooters that are everywhere laying on the ground in california and stuff they're called bird scooters so oh yeah (laughs) so uh for some reason those are kind of coming up number one and two but then literally forbes has uh we finally know that birds can see the earth's magnetic fields then you go to the second one is national geographic birds can see electromagnetic fields um, which is pretty cool. So when did you first try to shoot one off a lawn chair, a turkey? Well, you know, right off the bat, we were seeing some pretty crazy stuff. Um, 
you know, even if we weren't hunting turkeys, if you'd run onto a, to a bunch of turkeys, you know, normally, I mean, if you're walking through the woods and, you know, you hear the, you usually hear them putting before you even see them a lot of times, you know. And we started seeing some, you know, being able to get a lot closer to them than we ever thought possible, even when we weren't even trying. Um, and so it, the very first time was probably, I want to say probably 2011 is when I actually decided that, you know, I'm going to get outside this blind because, you know, I like, like everybody else, I used to hunt them out of the blind and stuff. And so we sat outside the blind, and the first time I did it, I was all in full ghillie suit, you know, the whole thing, you know, because I'm thinking, you know, I've got to break up my outline and do all this. And we called a bird in, and he was like, eight yards away and I pulled my bow back and he didn't react at all and I shot him and so as it kind of progressed I started wearing less and less of the you know the ghillie stuff and and I mean now I you know I don't even really do anything Um, just sat out there I you know if you got a little back cover it doesn't hurt but I mean I've been sitting straight up in the open too and have them come in and the cool thing is is getting to full draw is is absolutely not a problem at all i mean i've shot well over 30 now i probably count them at some point but i've killed well over 30 turkeys with a bow and since we've been doing this and you have to have the hex on completely and have that electrical block completely but with that block the movement that you make is just like an inanimate movement as far as that bird's concerned you can get away with it all the time how how, do you have to move like much slower or you keep telling me to do it and you need to <laughs> you keep telling me you're like dud you have to do it but you got to remember i i i'm a mississippi turkey hunter i'm mm-hmm. a i'm afraid to get flogged if like <laughs> if i go out and try something like that after getting like a long beard to come in but um actually so do you know about the turkey hunt that i do um Normally I do it every year where I have certain friends come out and I've got this, uh, I've got this really cool Turkey belt. It's actually getting built, uh, right now. I've got a buddy building, build my belt and, uh, the hunt starts next week and I've got some really good friends coming out. And normally what we do is we just, whoever shoots the biggest bird in, uh, cause for non-residents, their season's only four days here in Iowa. So it's just a four day mm-hmm. hunt and whoever shoots the biggest bird. And all we do is we take the bird's weight, the longest, uh, spur and one longest spur in the beard length, and then just add that up. But what I was thinking of doing this year is, uh, offering some bonus points to whoever would shoot it using their knock on hex suit, just sitting in the open because it could be pretty dang awesome well it could be it could be a deal breaker for people too you know you put a five point bonus point on a hex bird and that's a that could be a game changer well you know for the for the people who haven't done it um number one it's 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 completely doable it's not like you're sacrificing anything and i truly believe this I'm not sacrificing anything sitting outside of a blind and, and, or without one completely. I mean, I've done a lot of stuff. Here in Oregon, we get a lot of rain um, in April uh, typically. So um, a lot of times I'll have a blind set up and I'll have the camera in the blind, but I'm sitting out in front of it. And I'm killing just made birds as I would. I mean, literally the biggest challenge is getting them into the decoys. I mean, that's just like it, it always is. Um, but the biggest advantage 
And this really is a huge advantage is that you're not tied to that blind. If, if, you know, if the birds want to move a different place or, you know, you can, you can work your way around and set up and kind of run and gun like a shotgun hunter does. So, um, it's, it's way more fun. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. There's no question. Yeah. There's no question about it, but you, you actually, when you came out here, you did your deer hunt, you shot your buck, um, and then you wanted to shoot a doe and, you went out and sat in a chair in front of the blind and you were about ready. I mean, you were all but drawing back on the doe when a coyote just came running like seven yards from you. Well, actually the coyote came in first on that deal. Um, and the coyote come in and actually Rex, my camera guy was, and we were just sitting beside a cedar tree um and uh the he was filming this little bird that was like six inches from my shoulder and the coyote came in and i mean we got him on video and everything and he kind of startled me actually because i didn't even know he was coming and so i when i saw it i kind of jumped you know and and he he got his attention he just ran out there and i mean i was practically a full draw on him before he finally took off before i you know before i get a shot but i mean it wasn't yeah, you know, I mean, if I'd have been a shotgun hunter, he'd have been toast. But um, <laughs> and then there was just a little while later when those does came in, and uh, and I made that beautiful air ball shot right over her back. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I remember forgot. That? Now I remember. Yeah, the, I had that. The sun was coming up right over her back, and I, you know, it sounds like an ancient old excuse. The sun was in my eyes, but yeah, I thought I was. I thought I had my twenty yard pin on her, and I had my forty, and it air balled right <laughs> over her back. But, yeah, getting a full draw on her wasn't a problem either. Um, but, you know, we had a lot of turkeys out there that hunt, too. And, and I mean, all over in front of us and, and you know, bearded hens and everything else. And so, uh, you know, and, I mean, we never had a turkey pot at us at all. At yeah, all, I'm, ki- I'm kicking myself that you didn't have a tag. Because that bearded hen is my nemesis out there. You still out there? Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And she... She literally dictates the entire flock, if not the entire listening radius of her voice. She dictates, and she has, um, I don't even know how old she is, but she's smarter than any turkey I've I've ever met, and uh, I keep, that's what, last year I think I put like a 10-point bonus on whoever would shoot a bearded hen, and then... The problem was everybody was just trying to find the bearded hen. No one like shot gobblers. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. like, "I want the hen." And uh, well, that hen, when even when I was out there, she was a first class trophy bearded hen because she has like an eight inch beard, probably. Oh yeah, you know, at least crazy. Yeah, she was in front of us. I don't know, four or five different times. You oh know, when great! We were hunting out there. So, yeah. Was that when you were on the ground blind? Yeah, when you were yep, down on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So obviously, if you want to try something totally different, um, and I'm going to throw this out there, I'm going to give, I'll give away. Let's see, what can I give away? We'll we'll have to uh, we'll have to put a time cap on this, but we'll we'll check hashtags. But why don't we do hashtag? knock on hex so n-o-c-k-o-n-h-e-c-s um if you get footage shooting 
a turkey from a lawn chair in a hex suit and you post it to Instagram and, and uh, hashtag knock on hex, I'm going to check those and the best video, I'm going to send something really cool. We'll, uh, I don't know what we could do. We need to do something special. But let's do something cool cuz I'd like to uh, I'd like to get some footage out there of some guys doing it and I'm going to I'm going to try to win the belt that way. Yeah. You you should do it cuz it'll change the whole way you hunt. Um you know, keep in mind that when you're doing that, you do need to have, you know, you got to have the head face cover, you really got to have the gloves. Um those are important pieces because you know, turkeys again, they see it, see those fields visually. So I'll tell you a little story, and one of the reasons that I know. Do you have to wear the socks? The, the the socks aren't crazy important. I mean, I've got away with those. We killed lots of turkeys before we came out with socks. Okay. But um, when we first came, started doing this, we my dad was hunting with us, and we went out one morning, and and you know we thought we knew where the birds were going to be roosted. Well, as it ended up, they were basically roosted about 80 yards from us. So we went out anyway, and we set up. And so my dad and I are about 20 yards apart, probably. Um, and he had forgot his hex face mask that morning. So he had a, you know, just a regular face mask, that, you know, like we all have used before. And he put that on and, you know, his camo and everything. And we thought, well, that'd be all right. And so uh, anyway, we're sitting there, and it gets light. And, I mean, I'm looking at the birds at like 80 yards. And I'm sitting on my lawn chair, so is Dad. Um, and... Uh, so we're looking at the birds in the tree, and I'm thinking, well, I don't even know if they're going to come this way for sure, but we have decoys out and everything, and sure enough, they pitched down, and we had four gobblers pitched down right in front of us, come right on up. I have all this on video. Um, the video is kind of cool because my, my camera guy was actually, we did have a blind set up across from us, and uh, so he was filming. So the birds lit between the blind and us and walked up to the decoys, and I'm and I'm actually turning and starting to kind of draw on this bird, and he's, I don't know, 15 yards away probably. And uh, all of a sudden, the bird stops. He's all fanned up. He stops and defans, and he, and he turns and looks right straight at my dad. My dad hadn't moved a muscle. And uh, he defanned, and he just kind of got nervous. Well, I went ahead and got the full draw and killed him anyway. But um, that was that's how much difference it made. Dad said he just, he did just basically, just basically just turned his head a little bit. And the bird nailed him immediately. Now, mind you, I'm already raising my bow and getting turned and ever. I mean, I'm moving a whole all all over the place, and the bird never even paid attention to me at all. But uh, just him not having the face mask on when he moved his head, that electrical field that came out of the of the muscles of his neck, you know, that's a visible field to turkeys. And you know, it's kind of hard for some people to understand this, but only living beings create that electrical field. So other movement that's in nature whether it be branches in the wind or grass or whatever there's no electrical field in in those motions so birds will ignore those if you've ever been on a windy day wondering how come they can still pick up your movement so well that's why um you know waterfowl see the same way as way too so you know if you've got a bunch of ducks or geese or whatever that are coming into a set and it's a windy day, but as soon as somebody moves anything, you watch them flare. Well, the reason is is because they know that's a living being that made that movement. So what Hex does is just blocks that. So make sure your movement in adamant. So that morning, all the movement that I was making in plain sight and actually closer, I was 10 yards closer to the bird than Dad was, 
he completely didn't pay any attention to that. And then dad moved his face just a little bit, even though it still had the face net on. And then Turkey picked it up immediately and defanned. And he didn't run hard, you know, but he obviously saw something there. And, and uh, so it's, it's, it's a neat technology. It really works well. Well, you said only humans, other, other no, animals. No, all, all living, all living beings. Yeah. Do. yeah. Yeah. Anything that has essentially your muscles put it out. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, if, 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 no matter if it's a person or an animal or, you know, it doesn't matter if it's got a heartbeat, that heartbeat is, is putting out an electrical field. And then it's any, it's actually the, the electrical charge that is, it takes to move your muscles. It's actually your muscles move by, you know, electrical impulse. And it's that electrical impulse that, that actually is being seen by these birds. And, um, you know, the bigger the muscle, the more it puts out, but uh, birds are really sensitive to it. So, you know, that's why you want to cover everything, you know, pretty much everything head to toe. But if you do it, I mean, it'll, it'll change the way you hunt. It really, really well. I say that on the show all the time, but it really, really well. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, I'm going to talk about what I do to get the turkeys in the decoys. <laughs> like, Probably like the hardest part of the whole deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I was just out. The reason... I was late getting here to podcast with you as I was out uh, pretty much doing my my recon, I guess, for this this group of guys I got coming because um, I went out, I put stealth cams out, I shoot, I put a, I put mine out in video mode because I do like to to actually watch the birds and see whether or not they're just passing through or whether they're staging there to pitch up or whether they're there to strut um but i i get like video mode type uh trail cameras out and i put them in areas where i feel like the turkeys will spend time i i have areas where just over the years of hunting them i i kind of have narrowed it down to say there's 10 areas where they potentially are on a pattern they they won't be in all 10 of those but out of the 10 areas where i've seen them they'll probably be in three of those areas so i put cameras out in each of those spots some of the areas if the grass was a little bit taller um i actually had the mower hooked to my tractor as i went out so i mowed some areas real tight to the ground to create some some strutting areas which I think is really a good tactic to have for turkeys during this time of year because it's normally wet in the morning or if there's dew on the ground, it seems like they really like to stretch their fan out and they like to to dust themselves and get kind of dried up so they can put on their show. So kind of creating those areas is really, really good. Um, some clover plots are great areas for those i find that turkeys like to frequent clover plots uh, if you do plant clover in the fall which i always put some clover in my fall plots just so that they're turkey compatible in the spring those clovers will start to pop and and they'll be able to come out there and strut around in that in that fresh ground and stay dry Um, so i put some cameras out in those areas i also kind of went and checked check my blinds that i have in areas where 
there's certain areas where I know if you sit all day at some point during the day, a turkey will come through there. And that's, you know, and honestly, most of my birds I've probably done, I've probably killed from having patience more so than the ability to really know how to talk to a turkey. I can, I can yelp and I can purr and I can cut, but I can't say that I really know how to do it awesome. You know, there's people that put a turkey call in their mouth and just go to town and I'm like, yeah, I know three calls. I just kind of do this. Um, Or with a slate call, I do the same thing. Um, But I feel like if you do that and you have a gobbler respond to you at some point, if you call and he responds right back to you, and you call a little bit more and maybe maybe he responds but it's not right away and he doesn't come in personally i found that if they respond and you don't like push it too hard they know you're there you know i well it's like an it's like a bull elk if you call and he's just hitting on top of you every single time stay with that um advice i got years ago for turkeys but it also is the same advice I got on an elk later in life is whatever call you make to get them to respond to use that same call and meaning like the actual make of the call too, because I do have a couple different types of calls and the same is true with, um, with, with my elk calls, you know, I might have a hyper hot, I might have, you know, I might have a, a diaphragm call i might use a bugle and it's and whatever the elk responds to keep using that like don't don't if an elk respond you know if a bull bugles back on on top of you when you're using a diaphragm call don't all of a sudden switch up to a hyper hop because sometimes you can just shut them off right away and the same totally agree with that yeah absolutely absolutely if they're whatever they're whatever they're turned on to that's what you want to stay with and you know, because if you think about it, um, you know, and of course, you know, I've, I do a lot of elk hunting and a lot of calling and, and all that. But if you think about it, I mean, you're you're personally talking to that animal. So, you know, if you're talking to somebody or, you know, somebody's, you know, yelling at you across the room or whatever, and all of a sudden the voice changes, it's going to be kind of weird, you know. So <laughs> definitely, definitely keeping with the same you know the same make a call basically will sound like the same the same individual and i when i call anything it's always i always really try to pay attention to sounding like something real and sounding like you know if you're if you're a, a, a doing a cow elk call you need to sound like the same cow you know um there are times in that scenario when i'll try to sound like a herd too but um, most of the time it's better if you just sound like one and in my experience with turkeys exactly the same thing if you ch- start changing up calls when you have one hot um, usually that's a bad thing however I have turned them on by changing calls you know it just you you might draw a call with a diaphragm call and not get an answer and hit a slate and they nail it right now and then you stay with that you know so yeah so but you know the turkeys really change, you know, per the time of the of the breeding cycle too. So, like early on, you know, there's a time, and it's actually before our season starts here in, in Oregon generally, when 
when birds are if they're not really hand up yet they're well they're kind of in big bunches but they're not really actively looking in, in for hot hands and if you give them that hot hand sound for a little while right early in the season it's deadly as heck but um you know as soon as they start you know actually having the, the hens start to talk and start to to do those uh those yelps that they do when they're ready to breed then that's when it gets really tough i mean that's when you know sitting and waiting on them to pass and that kind of thing is by far the best way to do it, at least in my in my experience um then later on after most of the hen set then it's then it starts to get easier again um you know a lot of times the middle of the day is the best time i, I call a lot of birds in you know in the afternoon and found that if I can get one to answer me in the afternoon, um, particularly later on in the season, I mean, it, it's it's pretty much, if he, if he hammers on you really hard, I mean, most of the time they'll come in, you know, so. But it's kind of weird. It's, it's it's not the same all season. Your tactic has to kind of change, you know, depending on what bird you're doing. Well, I think it's so similar to elk in the fact, well, I, I agree with when people say, hunting a turkey is like hunting an elk there there's like a very small percentage of that comment that is relatable mm-hmm. i would say the communication is the only thing that's relatable shooting shooting a 18 pound turkey is not like shooting a bull elk <laughs> no not, not not even a little bit <laughs> like in in no facet of the of the of the the retrospect, but I can say communicating with an elk and getting the shot opportunity to happen based on how you're able to read the situation and the excitement, then yeah, a hundred percent. And with turkeys, I find that if I can get a turkey to gobble after lunchtime, he's as good as dead. And I feel mm-hmm. like with bulls, if you have a bull talking in the middle of the afternoon, I mean that sucker is pretty much as good as dead too. Like yeah, they're can... they're desperate at that point. Like they're 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 pleading for someone to want to hang out with. Well, the other thing with elk that I've found and it's really pretty effective. You know, I always I'm always real real uh, constant of of getting into the bedding area and trying not to bump them up out of that bedding area. But um, the thing is, is even those big herd bulls, when they get in and they're bedded with those cows in the middle of the day, because you got to remember the lead cow, she's the one calling, calling all the shots. That bull, honestly, he might act like he's running the show, but he's not. That lead cow is. As long as that lead cow's wanting to lay down, that bull is knows that his herd is going to be there. And, I, you know, I've been really successful at calling them out in the middle of the day, better than actually than any other time of the day. Um, get in there and kind of challenge him because he's still interested in keeping those other bulls out of the herd, but mm-hmm. he's not going to necessarily stay right with them all day. So, yeah, it's a great tactic. The middle of the day, um, a lot of times I just go in there and break branches and just rake a you know rake a horn and that kind of stuff, and rather than even the vocal stuff, and that uh, a lot of times that'll wind up a herd bull really well. So, but, uh, but yeah, it's it's. You're exactly right. Hunting elk's way way different than hunting turkeys, but the vocal aspect of it is somewhat similar. It's for sure. I mean, you are you are you're you're interacting with the animal, and you're trying to trying to figure out what what his interest is, and and consequently where you need to be to get shot. So. Yeah. Well, I um, I got some advice years ago from Ulmer 
on elk. And he told me that if he can't cut off a bull that he wants, you know, if he can't intercept it, then he'll let them go to where they need to go. And then he'll let them, you know, bed down and he'll just kind of play the waiting game and stay within, kind of stay within a very safe distance of them to where he can keep an eye on them, but yet, you know, not let his scent blow around and stuff in there. And he said that he really has done well on mature herd bulls when they get up and start kind of stretching and getting ready for their evening movement. He said he thinks it's a great time to move in on a bull when they're stre- you know, when they're stretching and they start trashing a bush and they're kind of bugling for the first time and they'll get in and start raking trees. Um, he feels like that's a good time. And honestly, I used that exact technique on my bull in Utah last year. Uh, it was in the afternoon and there was a herd that was kind of doing their natural thing. They were by a little, uh, by a little pond, just getting water, jacking around. Nothing was responding yet. The situation was really poor for me to make any type of a call because where the bull was and where the cows were it was highly unlikely that I would that it was highly likely that I would get busted by the cows if I identified myself and so I just kind of played it out and then as it naturally happened another harem started to move down into this meadow and this bull uh, kind of rallied his cows and pushed them up the hillside to the left. And then he came into the center of this meadow to kind of kind of stand his ground, so to speak, to the, to the bull that was coming down the hill to the right. And he did that exact thing. He went in and just started trashing this tree and raking this tree. And I pulled back and just ran at him just pulled back while his head was in the bush and ended up shooting him at like 25 yards while he was had his head in a in a tree kind of just claiming his dominance yeah yeah no i mean i've been in that situation a lot um then there's a lot of times when and just like it with turkey hunting there's a lot of times when you shouldn't call and and just like i mean randy i don't know that randy calls a whole lot at all actually but there is a time when, when those elk start to stand up, it's not like they just get up and go to where they're going. They get up, and they, I call that kind of staging. And they, they'll, you know, the, the cows, the, some of them will be laying down, some of them will be standing up, stretching and nibbling around and stuff. But the bull almost always, if he's a herd bull, he'll start raking horns, almost always. Um, so he'll rake bushes and that. And, I mean, I've done exactly the same thing. As if, I've, if I've got one that's tearing a tree up, don't worry about anything. He can run right at him. And he's, I honestly, and I don't, I can't prove this, but I think that they usually, when they're doing that, their eyes are closed. Um, you know, and if maybe that's true or maybe it's not, but I've had really good success moving. If they're, if they're, um, raking and, and they've, they're intent on that, you can get away with, I mean, literally like you did just running at them pretty much. I did. Um, I pulled back and, you don't even, and looked at yeah, my camera guy and I just said, let's the, go. And I ran, yeah, I ran like yeah. 80 yards at full draw. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And see, the thing is, is even if the cows start running and all that, why, if he's really intense on that, I've had him not even pay attention to that a lot of times too, you know? So 
it's uh, it's a really good tactic. And anything Randy says, I'm never going to ever argue with what Randy says because Randy's <laughs> way too way too successful for that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, there is a time if you if you're in that position right when they first get up, you know the 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 dicey part about that is you know getting into that bedding area without because. I'm always really anal on not spooking them out of the bedding area because if they're if you've got a good area like that, um, you know those elk will be pretty consistent. Yeah, and uh, you yeah. know that's the only scary part about about getting in close is you got to be pretty confident that the wind will stay right. But because uh, if you blow them out of there, then you got to go find where they're going to be the next day because they won't be there. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get back on track to the 17 pound elk, uh, which are turkey, yeah, there you go. which are turkeys. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I got, uh, cameras out doing a little bit of recon for about two weeks, just trying to figure out where those turkeys are, but more importantly, putting a timestamp on the turkeys. I really feel like, um, turkeys are a lot more patternable than whitetails or elk. I feel like I can't say this for sure, but I feel like if they're undisturbed, which, um, kind of here in Iowa, they don't really get a lot of pressure if I'm honest, um, because non-resident tags are like 250 bucks. (laughs) So that, 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 and you have to draw. So that kind of helps from a non-resident pressure point of view. But, um, you know, there's just, there's not as much pressure as there is in the South with them. So they kind of are able to maintain more of their natural thing. And I've just found that turkeys, they like to kind of pitch down, go their own way in the mornings. Sometimes that'll vary. You know, they may go east, they may go west, whatever. But then they kind of hit their nest. And then it seems like when they reconnect, their reconnection point is normally very similar each time. And then how they get up to their roost is super similar. So I've had a lot of really successful hunts where I just go out after work and go to areas where I have intel where birds are staging before flying up. And I've shot a lot of gobblers that are very responsive within that last hour of the day to like coming to where the other turkeys are. And if you're within a certain realm of of that staging area for their fly up and you're making calls, I've had a tremendous amount of success that way way i would say two to three times the amount of being in a in a blind having the sun just start to crack the horizon there's toms gobbling within a hundred yards of you and you're like oh yeah this is gonna happen and then you yelp they respond you yelp they respond and then next thing you know they pitch down they gobble at you a few times then they start gobbling away and away yeah in a way you know and it's like when they're hand up it's super frustrating but i found that the late mornings are probably like i feel like if you can get a turkey to gobble in the late morning your hunt opportunity is much better than just getting one to gobble at you on the roost yeah i i totally agree with that um you know, I mean, it, it's cool when you can, when you can, you know, that getting out there before daylight and, and, you know, I had a, I actually, two of my birds that I killed this year were that way. And, but they were both really late in May. Um, 
So pretty much all the, the hens had already started to nest. And, you know, that was that late season stuff. And, and I'm way more successful in the morning then. Yep. But yeah, I can't for even sure. tell you how many, I can't even tell you how many times, you know, when the, when the hens are still pretty active. I mean, you can have a gobbler. He, he'll be hammering every call you make, and you just think he's going to pitch right down in front of you. And I'm going to tell you probably 90% of the time. Just he before follows that, time, it follows that bearded yep. hen. Yep, yeah, yep. <laughs> you'll, hear, you'll hear a hen yelp. And if you hear a hen yelp, a real hen, you, you, most, in my experience, most of the time you might as well pack up. Cause <laughs> Unless you can get her pissed. Like exactly. That, you if know, you can if, get her in, you're good. But, uh, yep. yeah. But I'm I'm like you. I mean, you know, they at least the, most of the areas that I hunt a lot. You know, the the birds are, where they roost is pretty consistent most of the time. It may not be the same tree, but it's usually in pretty much the same area. Yeah, and same like ridge. You said, or I mean, there's, there's areas where they're going to go and they're going to kind of stage up and mess around and and uh, I, I honestly think that's when a lot of times the gobblers figure out where the hens are roosted too. And that's another reason why in the, in the morning, if they know where the hens are roosted in a certain tree, cause they saw them go up the day before, then you're going to have a really hard time <laughs> in the morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, but hunting them in the afternoon. Um, and the other thing is too, if you get one that'll answer you in the afternoon, most of the time he's by himself. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's times I've been out there when there's times when they'll be with hens and they'll gobble, but not very much. Um, Generally, they're pretty quiet if they're with the hens. But uh, if they're looking, they're gobbling. And, man, that afternoon time, I've killed way more birds in the afternoon than I have in the, in the morning. I mean, just probably three to one probably or maybe, maybe more than that. I, I've, had, I've had way more kind of, I don't know, I would say textbook hunts where you hear a turkey, you set up, you make a call, he gobbles back. And then all of a sudden he's there, mm-hmm. you know, yep. where, whereas in the morning it's, you know, it's kind of a coin toss. It, it's like, well, he's kind of responding, but you know, he's not really coming. And a lot of times in the mornings I've had, um, especially in the early season, I guess just to go back for, for those listening that are like beginner Turkey call or uh, Turkey hunters, and again, I want to claim I'm not an expert. I just know what's worked for me and and i've been i've been really successful filling turkey tags but um in the mornings if you can locate a turkey i personally like to locate them more by knowing where they're roosting and having a really good setup there pre-planned get there in the dark um and then you know as as they start talking you know start calling hen hen talking a little bit after that and if they respond to you, I'll normally call back one more time. And if they really hit hard again, I'll I'll keep on it. But if they're not super interested, I'll I won't call super heavy. I'll just know that hey, they know I'm here and they'll be here at some point. Um, but I think the majority of the time, if you have decent decoys out to where they can see you first. That makes a huge difference. I'm a I'm a big Dave Smith decoy fan, and oh, me too. Every yeah. every now and then, every now and then, I talk about a product, and someone will get on my post and just you know trash it out because of the price. And hey, man, I've been on budgets in the past too. I mean, I, I hope people out there realize that 
I'm 42 years old now. Like my days of having to buy a blow up decoy at Walmart, though, you know, I did that when I was 17 working at McDonald's and wanted a turkey decoy. And that was the only thing I can afford. But I also know I didn't have a lot of success then. And I remember going out with a big group of guys one time. I had some carry lights or something. And I was struggling to shoot a turkey in South Dakota. And everybody was shooting turkeys. And I'm like, what decoys are you using? They're like, everyone just said Dave Smith's. And I was like, what, what are those? And they're like, well, they're the best, but they're super expensive. And I remember seeing them and I'm like, God, they do look amazing, but I'm like, I can't afford one. And then finally, it wasn't that long ago. It was probably like eight years ago. I mean, I was in my thirties and I bought a Dave Smith. And then ever since then, it, it, it's like, you know what? Is a Dave Smith that expensive when you take two or three days off work to get a turkey versus the first time a turkey sees that decoy, it's going to come in? Like, I feel like it pays for itself the first time you use it. If if you're yeah. if you're docking time or using vacation time, I'm here to tell you it will pay for itself. And yeah, it's expensive, but it's one of those things where it's expensive for a very specific reason. It's that freaking good. And I, I, I can't tell you a hundred percent why, but I can tell you if I put a bedded Dave Smith hen down and I've used a number of combinations, a Jake next to her, the strutter next to her, another Dave Smith hen next to her. Now they have a Jake, um, that's mounted on top of that bedded hen. I love that bedded yeah. hen though. And it, it's just like once they see that, it's like all eyes on those decoys. You can you can almost get away with murder after that. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I use Dave Smith. I've got a couple avians that aren't bad too. Um, but, uh, you know, I've got a Dave Smith hen that I've probably had for, oh gosh, I don't know, six or eight years, maybe longer now, a long time. Um, and then I've got that, they, I think they call it a quarter strut Jake. Um, that one, and a lot of times I'll just set my hen on the ground. She's not really the bedded hen, but I just set her on the ground and mm-hmm. then kind of put that, put that quarter strut hen or a quarter strut, uh, Jake on top, you know, they're kind of in a breeding position. And, and once they see it, um, you know, it's, it, you, you would think they'd see it sooner. So a lot of times you have to kind of, you know, they're actually coming to the sound. So it's important to have the decoys between, you know the turkey and the sound so basically they're keying in on that but um but yeah i mean it, it's amazing how much a good decoy how much difference it makes um you know the other thing that we do um my buddy brad uh Golke down in texas he's got a uh, a decoy i'm not sure what brand it is i don't think it's a day smith but it's actually got a fan that and it's like a spring thing so he just has a string and he pulls it and the fan goes up and down and stuff like that and you know, just that amount of movement, you know, if it's out in the open and, and they're already looking there because of the call, a lot of times that'll draw them in too. And I don't know if that's legal everywhere. It is in Texas. And here in Oregon, I've got an avian. Um, it's it's a good-looking decoy too. It's an avian with a, with a real fan. And um, I actually made a stake with uh, – I kind of devised these little spring uh, – 
things on the underneath so I can actually pull it with a string and make it spin around and come back and forth and that kind of thing. And so, you know, a lot of times that'll help the turkeys to see them from a little bit further away. Because that's my biggest thing. I've had turkeys walk right past my decoys and not see them too sometimes. So, um, so you know, where it's legal, that's a nice thing to do too. Um, it's, we've had a really good success with that. Yeah. Um, one question I do get a lot that I don't really know the right answer to is people ask if, um, if these animals see the electronics given off from like cameras and things like that. Well, um, so here's the, here's the deal with that. So if you think about, um, you know, man-made electronics, the, ele- the electro field that they give out is actually a much higher frequency. Um, what we are producing as living beings is an extreme low frequency electrical field. And there's certainly some evidence that animals can pick up on that. Um, you know, if you've ever put game cameras out, particularly if you, you put them out around bears, um, I mean, bears are just are drawn to, to, to game cameras. <laughs> yeah, um, they will destroy used, them. Oh, they will. And I've used hex covers over that and seen much, re- much reduced uh, amount with that. Really? But, I really have, and actually we're working on some stuff with that. But um, as a matter of fact, Forrest Galante, when, you know, he's the, the guy that's on Extinct or Alive, and he's kind of our face guy for Hex Wildlife, um, that Zanzibar leopard that they filmed um, uh, a couple, well, year, last year, I guess, uh, never been seen. They thought it was extinct. He actually had a, a Hex face cover over his game camera when they filmed that. Oh, um, wow. I don't know how much difference that really made necessarily, but... Um, you know, they didn't even know one existed until then. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> what do you think? But, um, but the, but the truth of the matter is, is even if they do pick it up, um, you know, man-made electronics have only been around for a hundred years, even in the most crudest way. Um, and, you know, animals have been picking up on the electrical fields of other animals for eons and eons. So, you know, there, there's an ex- instinctual aspect to it. Um, you know, they're, they instinctually pay attention to the to the living fields that that you know instinct tells them they need to pay attention to, and I don't think that man-made electrical fields are really um, ingrained in in them instinctually yet to to fear them or anything else. So, uh, but I definitely think that there's some some you know some evidence there that 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 they are picking up on it. Um, I had one kind of interesting thing a few years ago again with my buddy in Texas. Um, I had just a little, uh, a little small video camera, just like a handy cam or something, but it had a remote control where you could turn it off and on remotely. And we had a Jake coming in, coming right to us. And the, the camera I had sitting beyond where the, where the bird was, but it was, it was off. So without, I mean, the, the, there's no way that he could see us move or anything else to turn the, to turn the camera on with the remote control. But as soon as that, that camera powered up, it didn't make a noise or anything else, but that, that bird immediately turned and went the other way. And so we turned it off, and then we had a long beard come in a little while later and did the same thing. So that told me that now when that camera powers up, that there's, a, there's an electrical field that that turkey picked up on. Now, after if I just leave it on all the time so it's kind of a constant, it didn't seem like they pick it up nearly as quickly. So kind of an interesting side note um with that but uh you know that was the only time i've ever seen you know a, a, a camera when it was actually powering up it seemed like it uh 
it definitely we had two birds in a row that reacted exactly the same way at exactly the same time. So, um, you know, this is kind of stuff we play around with. And I wonder how that thing. I wonder how that would work with uh, like ozonics or something like that. That's obviously juicing out a current. Well, it's definitely producing a, a field. Um, personally, with turkeys, I really feel that it's the spike and the change in the electrical environment because. I mean, if you sit still, and every turkey hunter knows if you sit still, sometimes you're going to get picked off, but not if you move, that's always when you get picked off. And so, um, you know, it's, I, I believe it's the spike, that, that, that big change in the electrical environment. So um, while they can, if you're sitting still, there's no doubt that there's an electrical field that they're able to, to visually see, but I'm not sure that it's, um, you know, something that they're, it's not a deal breaker until, you move and that and that electrical field spikes and changes drastically and then then that's when that's when things start to go bad so um how was the yeah, response I, with uh forest when he i know forest was uh pretty he was pretty adamant about getting with rogan because i know he wanted to talk to him about several of the crazy animal experiences he had i know he figured it, it would trick trip joe out and um i was pretty pretty pumped to to hear that that joe and forrest connected without me you know kind of making that connection happen i know i'd talked to joe about forrest and some of the stuff but um that podcast i heard a lot of different people talk about that podcast and forrest is just such an awesome like neutral party so to speak to talk about hex and how it works in the animal kingdom outside of the hunting world. Yeah. I mean, Forrest is, I mean, he is, I mean, in a lot of ways, he's kind of the next Steve Irwin, I guess you would say. I mean, he is, he is that crazy and he's all over the world doing all kinds of crazy stuff all the time. But, um, you know, how we got to know Forrest was actually, he was actually using hex and he's a wildlife biologist by degree. And so, um, he became enamored with that, uh, more on the underwater side originally, but, uh, that's how we got, uh, got to know Forrest was, was, uh, you know, through, you know, he was able to see the differences and became interested in it and that kind of thing. But, uh, but yeah, the, the podcast that he had with Joe was, I mean, it was, it was cool because Forrest is a really, really interesting guy. He grew up in Africa, um, in Zimbabwe and basically his, uh, his family left and, and was during the, during the revolution there, they basically were forced out with the shirts on their back. That's it. And so he grew up in, in Africa and some of the stories that he has from his childhood are just amazing. But, um, but you know, he's really just kind of been this guy that um, never was really into a, you know, he's a, he's a hardcore scientist, but he's always been open-minded enough to understand that science doesn't know everything yet. So, um, but yeah, it, it, it it's it's a cool thing. And just watching this, some of the stuff that Forrest does is just amazing. Um, in fact, he uh, just in, like the first of the year, they actually discovered a tortoise out on the Galapagos that hadn't been seen in over a hundred years. And he's <laughs> holding it in his hand. It's undisputed, um, and and all that. I mean, it's 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 a cool thing. It's it's definitely uh, definitely interesting to follow his exploits because you never know what he's doing. I, He's actually in some cave in Cambodia uh, doing something uh, as we speak right now. So, uh, 
Yeah, he's been off the grid for a couple weeks. But, uh, well, anyway, yeah. I try to stay off the grid sometimes too, but not in Cambodia. <laughs> yeah, in like the world's largest cave for a couple of weeks. So well, that's off the grid. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. No thanks. So, anyway. Well, last last thing story. we have to uh, we've got to talk we've got to talk uh, turkey projectiles. Like we can't end this okay. podcast without you and I discussing our feelings on on projectiles for turkeys. So I'll let you go first. What's your what's your thought process on it? Well, I mean, I like on on turkeys. I like a big mechanical. I like I like to because with with turkeys, the the vital area is tiny. It really is, and it's not where a lot of people think it is. So. Um, the biggest thing with turkeys is to realize that they are extremely tough. And if you don't hit one in the right place, you're going to have a hard time finding them. Um, and so the biggest thing that I want to do when I shoot a turkey with a bow and arrow is I want to break bone. So, um, so basically what I do is I shoot a big mechanical and, you know, I hold, um, you know, I basically always try to line up with the legs. That's what always, what seems to work the best. Um, a lot of my shots, uh, uh, for a lot of people, they say, "Well, gosh, that's not in the heart lung area." Well, it actually is. But my biggest, my biggest concern is to break bones. If you break bones, you're going to get the bird. If you don't break bones, um, it's a crapshoot. So, uh, you know, so I mean, I use a big. Uh, now I'm using a um, a big Ramcats. Just happened to be the one that I'm using a big three bladed Ramcats. What happened? What I use, but my whole thought process with that is as big a hole as I can put in them in as many different directions so I can catch those bones and break them. So, um, that's kind of my, my thought process process on it. Of course you need them to be super accurate too. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I shoot. I shoot my regular, my regular setup that I hunt deer and elk with. I, I pull 70 pounds and, and, you know, I'm shooting a 450 grain arrow. So, you know, kind of my same thing there. I just screw on a big mechanical and try to hit them in right up from the leg, so you break bones. Well, I'm we're we're so identical on our thought process, um, which is pretty refreshing. I wanted you to go first, just in case you said something that I could like yeah. professionally disagree with. But um, yeah, like I shoot field points and aim at the head. Or <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't do that. Yeah. Um, I really feel like with turkeys, I feel like shock is almost more important than, than, than necessarily cut. So I've had people make comments about like my penetration on turkeys. I shoot a really heavy arrow and I shoot as big of a cut as I can. Um, because I really feel like delivering that shock and get, you know, as much as possible and, and letting it feel the full force of that arrow is absolutely critical because the worst thing with turkeys is to zip through it and it fly off. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think there's, I think there's a very, very valid argument for people that shoot decapitation type heads I personally don't want to build arrows that are long enough to where those broadheads are out in front of my riser. Um, so because I just like shooting the same type of setup, I'll normally reduce my poundage a little bit and shoot a full metal jacket with like, you know, a two and a half inch rage, like a Turkey extreme or something like that. And when I draw back, I put my pin 
on their legs and I go straight up the leg until it gets to the drumstick and that's that's where I put my arrow and I tell people you know when you when you shoot like a a turkey target a McKenzie target the vitals or the scoring rings are very forward you have to think about a turkey and the vitals being a lot more like when you clean a chicken you know you're you're essentially reaching between the legs and getting the vitals out from between the legs you're not reaching all the way up to the front of the cavity like if you're you know cleaning a hog or a deer those all of those vitals are beneath the breast and a lot of people aim to the the largest mass of the bird which is essentially the breast meat and it's just not you know unless you hit the spine or deliver enough kinetic energy to just you know kill them from shock you're just not gonna fare well from doing that but if you hit the spine the neck if you break the hips they can't spring up to fly if you break a leg they can't run they can kind of fly along the ground Um, and obviously if you get through there you're hitting vitals so i'm the same i like a, a heavy arrow i like a big cut i like to try to blow through the drumsticks save the breast meat um uh, walking away shots good any you know as long as you're if you're shooting a two and a half inch cut if you're anywhere from that center line from the bottom to the top you're gonna flatten that thing um, otherwise you know the frontal shot is probably my least favorite if I'm honest um, you know it's kind of like you almost have to cut the beard in half to really make an awesome shot but that's kind of my uh I don't know. That's that's my two cents worth. Yeah, I mean, I li- I like the arrow to stay in the bird if I can, for sure. Um, you know, but the biggest thing is to break them. You know, break a bone. I shot a bird in Texas, a huge bird. Actually, it's probably the biggest rio I've ever killed. Um, and he came in and he strutted around and and uh, I shot him. He actually was going away from me, but I didn't hit the spine. I went under, basically right under the tail, right up through, and and the brought it actually came out about maybe a half inch from his beard and it stuck in him and he flew took off flying and uh so we looked and looked and looked and i mean i thought we were going to lose him and finally my buddy found him he was probably 300 yards away and when we cleaned that bird it didn't break any bones at all but the but the heart was literally in two pieces inside that bird (laughs) um but he went a good 300 yards before he died and that's why at that time at that point it's like you know when i break bones they just flop around here in front of me and i can get them you know yeah so uh that was what really you know they're so tough and you know and early on i shot some birds and, and actually shot some birds and lost them by shooting them too far forward up in that breast i mean it just goes through them and and uh you know you've got this this arrow with feathers and fat basically there's no blood or anything on when you shoot through the breast and you know you never find those so you know it's a bow hunting turkeys is a it's a you know it, it, it's a really small target it's it's challenging from the shooting standpoint because of that um and you know like i said you in my opinion breaking those bones and i'm with you i mean you know delivering that shock i'd like the arrow to stay in them um for a long time, I shot those. Uh, Zawicki made those uh, uh, K 
kind of look like a judo point, but they slide, slid up the arrow with these barb things. And I actually used those for quite a while and actually had pretty good luck with them. It's just uh, I, I, I kind of got away from them for whatever reason. I usually don't shoot completely through them anyway. But uh, the other thing that I did learn, though, is you know not to shoot a dull head. Make sure your heads are still sharp, too, because those feathers can be pretty tough to get through sometimes, especially if you're shooting a mechanical that, you know, that like some of the ones that I'm that I'm shooting they're they're not really designed for maximum penetration at all so they're they're a front deploying type type uh blade so you know it takes a lot of energy to punch those through anyway and so I make sure if I'm shooting that kind of head to make sure it's really sharp so I can uh be sure to cut through the feathers because I mean they're a lot tougher than they can be if you're shooting a a head like your rage I mean they penetrate well anyway so it's not not as big a deal but you know, I, I'm kind of like I'm I'm delivering as much shock as I can with and trying to break as much bone. You're just trying to do as much damage as you can, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, hey man, as always, it's awesome listening to you. I I learn something every time I talk to you. You're uh, well, you get I'm, out there. I'm that crazy guy, you know. I'm the you crazy get out guy there. that does everything weird, but you know we. We get out there a lot. We do, we do a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, I'm probably hunting 250 days a year probably or something like that. It's kind of silly sometimes. But, uh, you know, we're out there with a camera chasing whatever and, and trying to see what we can do. So it's a lot of fun. It's a nice life. <laughs> well, I like the fact that uh, I like the fact that you're one of these guys that's kind of off the mainstream grid, but I also – totally trust your opinion if you ever send me a text and say you know hey man i'm trying such and such i'm gonna a hundred percent try such and such there's no question about it because you uh i know you get out there and do it and honestly i can't even think how long have we i don't even know how long we've been friends I mean, Man, it's been a long time. I mean, <laughs> it's almost target sad. days for sure. Well, I mean, you were still working at Matthews when I first met you, um, and maybe before that even, because um, I used to chase the the target stuff around pretty hard too. Uh, I wasn't nearly as successful as you were at that, but uh, God, it's been a long time. It's yeah, been a long time. I'm, I hate to think about that because it's been long enough that I must be getting old because it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know it's a long time, too, when, when people start start talking crap and asking what you've ever done. And it's like, you know what, I've, even I've forgot about it, and I did it. <laughs> yeah, 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 no doubt. <laughs> like that's I probably forgot about a lot more stuff than I, you know. Some of that stuff's probably a good thing, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, there's no question. You can't live with what you did before. It's all about what you're doing now. I mean, yeah, you know, sure. it, it's, uh, it was it was fun when it happened, but it's I'm having, I'm having more of a blast now than... I'm having more of a blast now than I did in my 20s. I can honestly say that. And I, and I, I don't want to feel like I you know, I screwed up my 20s, but I just continue to have more and more fun. Um, one of my good buddies, Andy, I don't know if you've met him, but uh, we were just talking last week or the week before, and he was like, dude, do you realize how many more cool things we can do like – 
this year versus only a year ago, and I'm talking everything from, you know, who knows? I mean, there's just so many different things that we did that we've done and went and decided to do. I mean, I decided to go skydiving and, uh, crap. I can't even think I started shooting a long range rifle some and I'm trying to think what else I don't, I mean, i literally forgot like the things that, Oh, snowboarding is my latest thing. Um, yeah. talking to, I've been talking to a couple guys, including Scott. I do want to do some spear fishing. I want to get into that. So, uh, not too extreme. I'll, I'll, uphold my my promise to you that i won't get too extreme um but uh yeah i think it's awesome i remember asking my mom when she was when my mom turned 50 i i kind of asked her as a loaded question i'm like so like what's it like being 50 (laughs) you know kind of thinking she was gonna say something like well I know the end's coming or, you know, I don't know. (laughs) And she's like, I feel more alive and more free than I've ever felt in my life. She's like, she said, she goes, I know what I want to do. I know how to get it. I know how to do it. I know where to go if I want to do it. And she's like, it's perfect. And I have the time to do it. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, shit. Yeah. Backfire. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, if, if you're like me, and I know you probably were, you spent a lot of time in, you know, being obsessed with things when we were young, whether it was be a target archery or, or life in general, but we didn't know how to do any of it. And uh, so consequently, we, 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 luckily for us, I guess we were energetic enough to get a lot of stuff done. But um, now the cool thing is, is, you know, yeah, you kind of get an idea of what you like, number one, what, what, you know, what uh, gets your heart going. And, and you, you got an idea how to get there and how to do it. And, you know, it's, it's not like necessarily, you know, you're doing a lot of stuff for the first time. But, you know, for me, I, I mean, I still get just ramped up on, you know, and I've shot 44 elk with a bow. And, and there's still every year, I mean, I get ramped up on both every year, just like I did when I was younger. But the problem is, they're not the problem, but the difference is now I know how to do it. So I'm a lot more successful and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, you know, like I said, it's just, it's, it's fun. And then also bringing it, being able to, to help other people. And, you know, I just have a blast with my youngest daughter. She's a, she's a killer from, I mean, she's unbelievable (laughs) as far as some of the stuff that she does. And, you know, she's actually expecting a baby in uh, in July, so she's got a little bit slowed down this year. But uh, I'm sure that after that, she's going to be out there again, and I'm sure my wife's going to be doing a lot of babysitting because you're going to keep that girl down. But, but it's kind of it's it's funny because all this this stuff that I thought when I was young, uh, you know, gosh, we need to we need to get up there and we need to do this, we need to do that, and I'll say, well, yeah, you can do that, but I think I'm going to do it this way. Um, it's, it's interesting cause I was, she thinks the same way I did when I was younger. It's just, uh, you know, I, and, and not saying that those are necessarily the wrong ways to do it, but there's usually there's a, there's about three ways. And one of them is the smart way. And that's the, the one 
the experience will help you get to that. <laughs> Hopefully. Some Hopefully, people take yeah. the dumb way all the time. And I'm like, you know, you've taken the same dumb way 15 times, dude. <laughs> when are you going to freaking get it? <laughs> shut yeah, up. Shut up and listen to the team here. You just yeah, you just sure. follow Q. Sure. You're more than welcome to be with us, but you're not making any decisions. <laughs> you've lost all right. Yeah. Well, you know, too, I think another thing is, you know, at least with me, I've, I've done a lot of different things and I've been really successful at some and I've failed miserably at others. And, you know, now I don't, it doesn't bother me. I, I'm not, I don't have the fear of failure that I used to. Um, when I was younger, I was so obsessed with it cause man, I, I, I had to make sure I cleaned this course or I had to make sure that I shot a certain score or that I shot a, you know, a certain size buck or you know all those kind of things used to really drive me and you know I ended up failing on those a lot of times and now I don't have that fear and I find that I'm way way more effective because I don't have that worry anymore if things don't work out there's tomorrow make it work out tomorrow yeah and uh, it really has it's it's probably one of the biggest things for me is is like I said I, I've kind of lost the I still don't like to fail, and I don't like to, you know, I like when everything goes like I plan. But if it doesn't, you know what? It, it probably wasn't really my plan anyway, honestly. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to do the best I can with the plan that's laid out there for me. So once you realize that, you have a lot more fun. You're a lot more successful. So. Yeah, I agree. Well, cool, dude. I'm gonna let, uh, I'm gonna let you get away from work. I'm gonna go get something, uh, get something going for dinner here, and then we'll uh we'll go from there man but i appreciate right. i appreciate it as always remember everybody uh knock on hex is the hashtag we're gonna check that we're gonna come up with something cool to give away um i know well i shouldn't say i know i assume we have uh knock on hex available on the website um i would i don't really know i just <laughs> well, hopefully you do yeah hopefully hopefully you and i are in the same position that way we we uh we get lost in hunting stories and don't don't think about that stuff but yeah i want to see some cool footage and i'm going to try to get some footage myself and uh i'm going to try to talk some of the guys coming into uh earning some bonus points for the turkey belt we'll we'll see who gets it so well yeah. i'm looking forward to hearing how that goes i think you'll uh I think it's going to surprise some people. I really do. If they if they go out there and try it, it's it's gonna it's gonna make a difference. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes. <laughs> All right, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Knock on everybody. All right, thanks, John. Thanks for having me on. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.